Exodus Health Center podcast. These seminars are recorded live once every couple of weeks on Monday nights at 7 at the Exodus Health Center in Kennesaw, Georgia, where we believe that God needs no help, just no interference. Tonight's workshop is entitled Toxicity and Natural Cleansing, and it's presented by Dr. David Jockers. Now, here's Dr. David. Right, so kind of shocking video right there. So did you guys hear what what she was saying? That, that literally 280. So that it, when they when they checked the spinal cord, they found 280 chemicals in newborn infants. Right? Who who's who's that shocking for? Right? And you guys, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's crazy. Don't you think 50% of the children now have some sort of developmental disorder? Right? That that wasn't the way the case. It was. I mean, that wasn't the case back when I was going through school. This is really recent developments, and that's because we have more and more and more toxins in our society now than ever before. So as we get into this, you know, our toxic world, and so who got the um, newsletter that I sent out last week? Some of you guys did, and so you read through that. We talked about some of the five top toxins, and we're going to talk about more of these things, right? But look at this, 80,000 chemicals for use in the United States, 80,000, right? EPA approved 1,700 new chemicals each year with very little screening. The chemical companies, more or less, have kind of had freelance to do what they want, right? And they just kind of use, they find chemicals, they use them, and uh, they just go with it, right? And uh, very little testing on that. Over 500 chemicals stored in our body. Average individual has over 500 different types of chemicals, right, stored in their body, man-made chemicals, right? That's not good, okay? And so um, our urine, has been tested to contain at least seven pesticides, right? Just in our in our urine, so it's you know it's coming out, but you, obviously that's been inside of our body as well. So we live in a in a toxic contaminant world. It's it's in the water that we drink. We're going to talk about that. The water that we shower in every single day. The plastics that we're using. It's in our home care products. All kinds of things that we are toxic. In fact, everybody raise their hand real quick, okay? And say repeat after me. Say I. I. Am toxic. Okay, so it's um, every one of us is toxic, unless you're living in like the pristine mountains of uh, Ecuador, the the Vilcabamban Mountains or the uh, Himalayan Mountains, right? Basically, we're toxic. We live in Atlanta. We're toxic. It's just the way it is, right? But fortunately, our body has this amazing ability to heal too. So there's there's this equation that we've got to work with, right? And we and so we got to make sure we have less toxins in our system than our body's own ability to naturally detox. So as we get into this, really the cause of all disease comes down to this, guys. It's it's not that we're victims of disease. It's that we either do disease or not, right? We either create it or we don't, right? The unfortunate thing about toxicity is just like that that um, that lady was saying, right? And and actually, um, Joyce, can you hit that that switch right up there and pop that thing off? Um, and so just like that midwife was saying. She said, you know what, we can take vitamins, we can do these different things, right? We can try to avoid different toxins. She's like, but your reality is we have so much toxicity in our society today, it's hard to completely avoid it. It's pretty much impossible. So we have to do the best we possibly can. And so you can see right here, this cell right here, right? It's got only some nutrients going in and only some toxins leaving, right? And so this cell right here has got all the nutrients going in and all the toxins leaving. So the key with, really with, with life and health has to do with our body's efficiency, right? Its ability to be efficient with the nutrient value that's given and its ability to efficiently remove toxins as quickly as possible from our system. And that creates healthy, vibrant, strong and alive cells.
Who wants cells like this? Raise your hand. All right, awesome. So that's what we're going to figure out how to do. So first thing we got to do is I got to go through all these different things. So of course, you know, in this office, the way that we get people well, the reason why we see such incredible results, incredible changes in here, is through these five essentials, right? Number one, maximizing our mindset, maximizing our nerve system. Number two, nutrition, high quality nutrition, our, our, our fitness programs, to maximize movement. And then today, our, our focus is that fifth essential, minimizing toxins. So whenever you're sick, whenever you're, you're, just not, you're just not where you wanna be as far as your health goes, you gotta go back to one of these essentials, right? Or, or all of them, right? And you gotta see where am I deficient, right? Which of these essentials am I not following correctly? And how can I improve that area? That's what it comes down to. Because when we apply all five of these essentials at, at a high enough level for a, for a long enough period of time, great, amazing health is a natural byproduct of that. And so let's get into this. So let's solving the neurotoxic puzzle. When we look at toxicity, the most dangerous aspect of toxicity is what it does to our brain and our nerve system tissue, right? Because that's what controls everything in our, in our bodies. And so we're going to look at this neurotoxic puzzle. So we got a couple major areas, right? We're going to talk about the healing diet, the advanced plan. Who, who does that or has done it at one point? Some of you guys, Satish, right? And probably you too, because we talked about that, Chris. Right, so the healing, the advanced diet. Okay, that's a key aspect with this. We're going to really go into heavy metals and biotoxins a little bit here and environmental toxins. So first one we're going to focus on right here is heavy metals. we got to look at heavy metals. Who's heard of like aluminum, mercury, lead, right, all these different things? And so are those things good to have in your body no. or not? No, they're not good, right? I mean, you're going to have some level, but not good to have in high levels. And so heavy metals, right, so when we look at mercury, for example, mercury is the second most toxic substance on the planet. The most toxic is actually, um, what is it? Cyanide. Well, it's not actually cyanide, but it's actually plutonium. plutonium, exactly, right? So plutonium where they use in nuclear plants and stuff like that. So mercury is the second most toxic, not that cyanide's any, any good for us, right? <laughs> so here are our top sources. Vaccines, amalgam fillings, right, fish and seafood. So a lot of people will tell me, well, I thought they, they took the thimerosal out of vaccines, right? Who's heard that, okay? But guess what, it's still in a lot of them, right? Like the flu vaccine, right? It's, it's, still, it's definitely in the flu vaccine. And then some of them, they have taken it out, but guess what they've replaced it with? Aluminum, Aluminum right? And here's the studies they do. They, they take a group of kids, they inject them with vaccines that have, that, that have mercury as the main preservative, right? And then they take another group of kids and they inject them with vaccines that have aluminum as the main, main um, preservative, right? And then both amount, you know, the, both groups of kids have, have similar levels of neurodevelopmental disorders, and they say, well, can't be the mercury, right? Listen, mercury is one of many things that are in a vaccine that make it dangerous, okay? And so, you know, there's a lot of components to it. And if you really look up and you research what's in a vaccine, there's no way you would ever want to put any one of those ingredients, not one of them, right? There's about 20 to 25 ingredients in a vac typical vaccine. You wouldn't want to put any one of those ingredients into your system. You wouldn't want to eat any one of those ingredients, much less inject any one of those into your bloodstream. Yet, when we put it all together and we make this cocktail, right, we think, it, we, think we have to inject this into our body. Not true, right? And so that's all I'm going to say about vaccines today, but definitely want to look into that and read into that. Fish and seafood. So... We'll talk about that, right? And so uh, fish and seafood, for example, when we're looking at fish and seafood, ones with higher mercury levels are ones that are what? Higher on the food chain or lower? Higher. Higher, exactly. Higher on the food chain, 
So that's going to be our larger fish, shark, swordfish, right? Things like that are, are much higher in mercury levels. Okay, we want to get things low on the food chain. So what's a fish low on the food chain? Sardines, um, wild sockeye salmon, right? Um, you can also have uh, anchovies, right? Herring, right? Things like that, low on the food chain. Those are better. And then, who knows what we like to put in with our fish? Cilantro. Excellent. Cilantro, because cilantro is a natural heavy metal chelator. So when we do eat fish, right, we put cilantro in there, nice fresh cilantro or dried cilantro, has a natural chelating effect where it actually help pull out some of those toxins. So very, very good approach to use. Also, all the fish that I named are also high in selenium. And selenium is the mercury magnet. Helps block mercury from getting into your system. Tap water, we're going to talk about that. High fructose corn syrup. So high fructose corn syrup goes through a high level of processing, and the processing plants, they actually have, they're on like mercury-covered silver um, conveyor belts, right? And what they found is that mercury has leaches in to processed foods, right? And so just about all processed foods have contaminated levels of mercury in it. So that's one of the reasons, one of the many, that we don't eat anything with mercury, or I'm sorry, any processed foods, right? But much less uh, anything with high fructose corn syrup, and then of course air pollution. So we've got a uh, testimonial over here. So uh, Dr. Hamill, you want to you want to come up real quick? So Dr. Hamill is actually a dentist in the West Cobb area, and this guy saves lives every single day. Give him a round of applause as he comes up here. This gentleman right here, he saves lives every single day, and he, I'm going to let him share his story, and I'll explain why he's able to save lives every day. Go ahead. I've been practicing for 26 years, and uh, I did everything. Three years ago, my life suddenly changed. I thought I would die, and I probably was if I hadn't figured out what was going on. Um, it started one day when, uh, let's see, I, I think I woke up a couple hours after going to bed, and uh, my heart felt like it was, it wasn't irregular, it was just very hard. You didn't have to put your hand on your chest to feel your heartbeat. You could just lay there in a very uncomfortable feeling of kind of, uh, like you're vibrating inside. You know, I just, and this would go on for probably three or four hours. I'd get up and walk around to try to work it off, and it would finally dissipate. And this would happen once every couple months, and I just kind of brushed it off. I'd get a little chest pain, and I would think, I suppose maybe I've got a blocked artery, you know, and it's slowly getting worse. And uh, this went on for a while, and my wife said, why don't you ever tell me about it? And I said, it's not that bad. And so finally one morning. T typical guy, right? Yeah, Minimizes yeah, himself, right? <laughs> So one, one morning I got up early about 5 o'clock to work on some cases before I went in, and it, it was so bad. I finally woke my wife up, and I said, I think we got to do something. And you know what the protocol is, dial 911. It's pretty hard to do, but that's what we did. I took a ride to the hospital in an ambulance, and oh, they did all their tests and everything, and they came back and said, you're fine. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay, this is great. Why do I feel like this? And, uh, and this, this whole... Uh, no, it, there was no heartburn with it. Did they tell you it was all in your head? It, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the whole scenario started, and these episodes, you know, instead of being just, you know, every couple months I'd get one, it started to get where it was kind of there all the time, but just low, and then it would have peaks and things like that. And um, so then I went, let's see, where to go from there? Uh, we planned a ski trip, the whole family, uh, out to Colorado. I love to ski, and I wouldn't miss this for anything. But 
it was we got to the Atlanta airport with the five with the three kids, the five of us, and uh, I that morning it was one of those days I was feeling horrible, man. I, I couldn't even. This is another thing you get confusion. Uh, you just it's hard to focus on things, and I've been in the airport a million times, but I couldn't even follow the signs to get out to the concourse, mm -hmm. and it got pretty bad. And finally, we were sitting at the gate, getting ready to go, and. I went into the restroom for a minute, and when I came back out, they had all taken a family vote. And they said, we don't think we should go. And that, these are three teenage, teenage kids, <laughs> and for them to say that. So we didn't go. We didn't get on the plane. We went home, and unfortunately, they missed their break and their ski trip. And, uh, but then I went, uh, let's see, uh, you know, I started going to my primary care doctor. You know, why is it this way? And I think the first place that I went to uh, was the cardiologist, and they did the treadmill test. And uh, I, at that time, I was taking a beta blocker for high blood pressure. Why high blood pressure? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, in, they did the treadmill test, and it came back inconclusive because I was on the blood pressure medicine. So they said, well, it looks like you're okay, but, you know, it's okay. And, but they said, if you really want to know the tell-all, you'll get a heart catheterization done. Yeah. And I thought, well, hey, I feel bad. I want to know. So I had the heart cath done. And, cardiologist comment when it was over was wow I've never had a scan on myself but if I do I hope my heart's as good as yours <laughs> it's like so it's nice to know that the heart's okay but why do I feel like this so then I went to an endocrinologist and they do their whole panel of all the the endocrine system and it, everything was fine you know uh, and then I went to a rheumatologist because mm -hmm. we thought autoimmune and oh no you don't have any of that either um, where else did we go this just kept going on and on, and, and every test out there. Oh, I, I went to a neurologist. They did a head and neck uh, MRI, and the only thing it came back with was a little bit of constriction in the central canal and the, the spine, but nothing to worry about. Um, and, you know, maybe it's stress, they said. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I've got a wonderful family. i got a great job. Why at this point in my life would I all of a sudden be stressed? it's just not so they give you some medicine to try and it just makes it worse and this whole thing went on and on and one day we were sitting uh, my wife and I had gone over to some of our best friends we play cards with them every few weeks and we were sitting there playing cards and I was kind of feeling bad and didn't say anything and I kept thinking to myself I said something is attacking my central nervous system this is just, like I said confusion they call it brain fog right and uh, and just like I'm vibrating inside. And anyway, and I think, what is it that affects the central nervous system? And you think, oh, Lou Gehrig's, you know, Parkinson's disease. And then I thought, well, God, I know this from dental school, mercury. And I thought, who in the world would be more susceptible to problems with mercury than a dentist who's been drilling out and removing mercury fillings for 26 years, just the way I was told to do it? to believe the FDA when they say, oh, this stuff's safe, don't worry about it. And it was like a light came on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started doing my research on mercury. And the first mistake I made was I went to my primary, I thought, there are any physicians in here? <laughs> 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 I went to my primary care doctor with the idea, because, you know, they've been treating, he'd been giving me, uh, oh, what was it? My wife's a pharmacist, what was I taking for, they were calming Zola, me down. Yeah, one Zola, of those kind yeah. of things. Something to try to take the anxiety out. So anyway, um, 
the mercury issues, I, I did a lot of research. I went to the primary care doctor, and he said, when I told him about it, I said, you know, what about mercury? He goes, interesting idea. Why don't we do a test? So I did, yeah, so I gave him some urine, <laughs> and I waited for the test. A week went by, two weeks, three weeks, nothing. I haven't heard a thing. Finally, I get a phone call, and he goes, yeah, we don't have the results yet. And he said, the reason is that the labs really aren't that familiar with doing these kind of tests. And so another week went by, I got the results. And surprisingly, I had no heavy metals in my body. Unbelievable. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't have at least some kind of yeah. heavy metal in your body. Wrong test, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this I didn't realize at the mm -hmm. time. And uh, I'm still getting educated in the early stages. Um, so, you know, the whole thing, I assumed, well, not mercury. Uh, so I started looking at all the other things. And that's when I started, unfortunately, I hadn't gotten exposed to maximized living yet. I was the chiropractor. I did have a friend, a very good friend of mine. I've known him for years. He was my chiropractor. But uh, he's on the other kind of chiropractor. He'll fix you if you hurt, but he's not into the toxicity, the diet, the health, all the other things that go along with it. But um, he's a good close friend. And one day when I was feeling really bad, he came over to the house and he goes, look at your test. Let's go over all the things you've had. And we were looking at them. And when we came to the mercury one, he goes, I thought it didn't show up in the urine. And I said, well, I kind of did too. I was told in dental school we had a hair, hair test. You know, that's where they look for it. So we got on the internet immediately and we started doing our research. And sure enough, mercury will not show up in the urine. Only if you've had an acute exposure, it may show up in the first 24 hours. Or if you've done something to mobilize it. When the body cannot get rid of mercury, it tends to try to harbor it, and it's, it's the safest place it can in the body. It usually ends up in fat cells. And, uh, but in order to get it out of your body, you must do something to mobilize it, get it back out into the system. And, uh, so that's why it wouldn't show up in the urine. That's why I had no heavy metals, because it was the wrong test. And, uh, these are the things that you will find out in traditional healthcare out there. Uh, so anyway, um, one day, again, I'd started a few times now where I had, had missed work. I'd get up in the morning, I'd say to my wife, I just can't go in today. Or I'd be walking around the office and the staff would go, you don't feel good, do you? And I'd go, I don't, I feel really bad. And, uh, so um, I thought, Mercury, I'm gonna find out. And ever since I graduated from dental school, there was a dentist, he's retired now, over by the big chicken, his name was Dr. King, Wayne King. Long before anybody had ever talked about mercury in, in dentistry, he was already out there preaching this stuff bad. And, and I can remember, honest to God, I would drive by his office, I would see his signs out front about, you know, mercury free and all this. And I go, that guy's just trying to trick people into taking their fillings out. And uh, so anyway, when I wasn't feeling good, <laughs> I called Dr. King <laughs> one day, right between patients, and I said, Dr. King, I said. I introduced myself and I said, I got reason to believe I may have some toxicity issues with mercury. And he goes, I can promise you, if you're a dentist, you do. How long have you been practicing? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, 26 years. And I said, I need some kind of test. I said, I'm desperate. He goes, you need a test? I said, you need a brain biopsy. You want a brain biopsy? <laughs> and I said, well, not really. And, and he goes, and then he got on to, oh, how he's testified in front of all these court cases about mercury. and. The FDA, when he goes to testify against them, they won't let him bring all his gadgets so he can show them how bad this stuff is. 
Then he went on this political podium where I couldn't get any answers out of him. You know, just between patients trying to sneak this call in. So I excused myself. I said, I'll get back to you. And, uh, but I did notice on his website that he was a member of an organization called the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. And uh, so I said to one of the front desk girls, I said, do me a favor. Get on that website and see if you can find another dentist in the area who's a member. And at the end of the day, she came up to me and she goes, yes, there's another one over in the Norcross area. And she was, this is Dr. Carol Berman. I went, Carol Berman? It's okay, Dan, if I say this. <laughs> we, Carol was in my class at Emory. And not only that, we dated two of the four years. <laughs> and, uh, so I got on the phone and I called Carol. And I said, Carol, I think I might have some problems with mercury toxicity. And the first words out of her mouth were, you too? And I said, oh, man. She goes, it hit me about five years ago. And uh, Carol was a real mentor in helping me get kind of on the right track. Uh, she had been through it all already, and uh, she had a lot of good advice on what to do to get started. And uh, So anyway, I went through a lot. I did a lot of this myself, just through research, Carol's advice. I did not go and do some of the ways to mobilize things are IV chelations. And uh, she had warned me, she said, unless you know somebody who really knows what they're doing, I'd steer clear of it. It can be very dangerous once you start to mobilize this stuff. Every time you mobilize it, you start to feel sick again because you're bringing it back out into your system. And uh, so I elected to do one called DMSA. It's a oral tablet, and uh, it, it does. It helps to mobilize it out so your body can clear it. You have to remember the body clears it basically through three ways. You've got your urine, your gut, and through sweat. And, uh, but you've got to get it out of the system, mobilize it so your body can get rid of it. And, uh, so I, I did that. I also, in the research, found out that mercury, sulfur, is another one. Mercury, what makes it dangerous is that as an atom of mercury, you know, there's the electrons that revolve around the nucleus and all. But in the outer shell, uh, electrons like to be paired to be balanced. Mm -hmm. Mercury in the free state has an unpaired electron, so it makes it very unstable. It's looking for something to bind you so it can be stable. And uh, they say that when you inhale mercury, by the way, that's the worst way you can take it into the body. And guess how dentists take it in Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> when they're drilling. I mean, you can ingest it. You will get some in your body. You can play with it, and you might get a little absorption. But inhaling it is very, very toxic. And you want to know how fast something will get to the brain when you inhale it? Inhale something volatile. And how long does it take you for? Whoa, I feel kind of dizzy. That's how quick things get there. That's how it is. And they say that free mercury, when you inhale it like that, you've got about 30 seconds before it is now entering the brain. And when it has, mercury is in that free state, it has the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier, okay? But the problem is, is once it gets inside, it now finds something to bind to, and it stabilizes it. But when it's bound up, it can't pass through the blood-brain barrier. So it's like a one-way ticket in. Once it gets in, it can't come back out. And, uh, and that's why it affects the nervous system. Uh, gets into the brain. So um, anyway, I, I did some research and found out that mercury uh, binds to sulfur very nicely. They say it's one of the saving graces. By the way, that's what's in cilantro uh, that makes cilantro yep. such, a good, uh, such a good detox. And uh, so I, I always try everything naturally. And, and uh, so I immediately got, did a Google search, sulfur diet. And I looked at everything that you can eat in a sulfur diet, things like spinach, cilantro, eggs, garlic, um, all these different things I immediately incorporate into my diet. I mean, that's about, you know, when you're hurting, that's about what you, everything you eat, the only thing you eat. And, uh, and you know, and so I was doing a million things. I bought an infrared sauna. Uh, helps you sweat. 
I mean, it's an amazing machine at making you sweat. Uh, I started exercising like crazy also. Um, but I, I did everything like this for, and I gotta tell you honestly, uh, took two and a half years before I can honestly say I'm normal again. I mean, I can remember telling my wife, standing, leaning over the counter in the kitchen after work one day and going, I don't think I'll ever be the same. It just kept getting worse and it just, it, it's just, like I said, I, don't know, I think of back on all the things, like the confusion, standing in the lab at the end of the day after all the patients went home and I'd be writing up my lab slips and everything and I'm splashing out every other word because I'm spelling it wrong or I'm leaving words out. And it's, it's really very, it was just a terrible experience. Um, I did have another test along the way. It was about eight months after um, that I had been doing my own detoxing, and it was through uh, Dr. Roberto's mm -hmm. office on Maximize Living, and they had recommended one called uh, phthalate, uh, not phthalate, uh, I'm sorry. Mercury test? It's the mercury test, but it's the, it, it <coughs> looks for biomarkers instead of looking for the mercury. Uh, I'll get the name of it for you. But the, instead of actually trying to pinpoint the mercury, what it does is it looks for changes in the body that happen in the presence of mercury. And they call them biomarkers, rather than trying to find that mercury itself. And, and I did have a test and it came back and it shows other metals as well, but they had the baseline and I was like, just a tad under the baseline. And that was after eight months. But it, uh, like I said, I finally, after doing all this, and oh, the first thing I did too after I figured it out was to learn how to cut the exposure off. We learned a, a technique on how to remove these things safely, not just to expose, not to expose the patient, but ourselves. And I mean, we wear respirators and the whole deal. And the patient wears oxygen. We do everything. We got a device that's like a, a ring that goes around the tooth with a high-speed vacuum, so it's collecting all the vapors as we do it and, and uh, yeah, minimize exposure. Yeah, that's that's really key because how many of you guys have had your amalgam fillings taken out or something like that? Yeah. <clears throat> so it's really key for Sorry. the protection of the dentist that they have a gas mask on, right, a respirator, and that they've got, they've clogged up, they kind of make a dam, right? So that way, yeah, none of the vapor when they're drilling gets inside of you. And so he apologized for, to those of you guys, and that's the way that we feel knowing this, who have had that done without, without having it done correctly, because it's just inevitable that you guys have mercury in your brain, right? Now, you may not have enough to where you'd have reactions like Dr. Hamill, but there's a threshold for everybody None of it's good, though. That's the thing. Yeah. It, um, you know, I, I'm sorry to say, but probably for the first eight years, I did everything they taught us in dental school. I mean, you feel like it's God's truth when you come out. I can remember people saying things that were contradictory to what I heard in dental school. And it's like, mm -mm, I know, because I just went to school. But it's, it took me about eight years to see. And what really stopped me from doing mercury fillings back, I stopped probably about in 1992. It was, had nothing to do with mercury. It had to do with how I could, what I could see happening, and it's that when you leave a silver mercury filling in long enough, the corrosion or the oxidation of the metal causes the metal to expand. Teeth don't stretch, so what do they do? They crack. And you know, and I'm sure at least somebody in this room, if not everybody, has experienced. Oh, a cusp just broke off my tooth one day, and it's usually one that had the mercury filling in it. And uh, that's the kind of thing that happens with them. So I could see that happening. So I said, there, new materials came out that were better, more conservative, things we don't have to crown everything. That's traditional dentistry when you think about it. It, it was a filling, a bigger filling, and finally the said, you need a crown. So we're going to grind the whole tooth down. We're going to take away what little health, healthy tooth structure is still left, and we're going to put a cover over it. And, and, and that's, what, that's traditional dentistry. What opened the doors 
back, uh, you know, probably in the early 90s, but they've really evolved now to where they're exceptional, is the ability to bond materials uh, to the tooth. Um, so we don't have to go and grind the whole tooth away. We, it's like we have a filling in there. Instead of doing a crown, we just take the filling out. So we're back to the tooth with its hole in it. And then we take a porcelain piece or sometimes composite. It depends on the application. Small ones we do, small to medium we do composites. Anything larger than that we'll use a ceramic material. But what makes it different is we can bond that material directly to the tooth structure. What, you know, anybody know what holds a silver filling in? What kind of cements? Zero, no cement. What holds it in is when the dentist cleans the decay away, there's a hole there. And what he does is he shapes the hole so that down the bottom of the hole, it's just a little wider than the opening, like an iceberg kind of effect. And then he packs that mushy silver mercury stuff in there. When it gets hard, it can't fall out the hole. That's what holds them in. There's no bonds. There's nothing. And uh, so then the compounding problem is they age, it expands, weakens the tooth, and they break. So what happens now is we take the filling out. Instead of grinding all the tooth away, we take an impression of it. And we'll make like a, <coughs> such a little jigsaw puzzle piece that just replaces the missing part of the tooth. And then we can fuse it in there. By fusing it in, it's like gluing the tooth back together. A crown works by covering it underneath like that. And that, that's what tries to hide it under a cover so it won't break. But now we can reinforce it, bring the tooth back to the way it was. And anyway, yeah, I'll get sidetracked. <coughs> it's, it's awesome stuff, the technology yeah. they have now. The great thing about Dr. Hamill is you know, he's fully certified and trained to be able to take these things out correctly. And one of the biggest things I always tell people is just because we know what's going on with amalgam fillings doesn't mean you run out and get it taken out. You've got to get it taken out the right way. You can actually cause a lot more damage to your body taking it out the wrong way than the right way. So what you want to do is um, definitely if you have amalgam fillings, who has amalgam fillings in here? Okay, so a lot of you guys. So if you do, you want to get with Dr. Hamill, okay? And, uh, you know, he's here tonight. And... Um, would you be willing to give them a free consultation oh, they come absolutely, in? Absolutely, excellent, yeah, excellent. Anybody so, can help to exactly. That. So he'll give you a free consultation. He's already been able to help out a lot of people in our office. So definitely get something scheduled with him. Um, he's just he's saving lives, getting these things out of people's mouths. One of the top toxins, and uh, we just have to limit the exposure. We got to get that stuff out of there as quickly as possible. So definitely go see Dr. Hamill. You're welcome. Thank give you. him a round of applause. It, it really takes. It really takes a lot of guts for, for any kind of doctor to really speak out against governing agencies, things like that, because we're taught to really re, you know, respect those things and ultimately to, to follow through with those with their recommendations. And so you know, he's come through a lot. He's come through a huge battle himself. And so he can speak from, uh, you know, from, from authority because he's been there and he's had victory over it. And that's the great thing about it. So anyways, let's get going here. OK. So. Next step is don't drink tap water. So don't drink what? Yeah. Tap water. Okay, I tell this to everybody, but you know, I know still people, a lot, a lot of people are doing it for a number of reasons. All of these different things. I mean, there is just a ton of things in it. So when we start looking at this, you can look at this comic right here, fluoride, for example, right? So they put fluoride in water because fluoride's supposed to be good for what? Your teeth, right? But here's the thing: it's very, very neurotoxic. And so you, you see this right here, this, this cartoon. He's saying, "Watch out, Tommy." You'll, he says, don't spill that or we'll both be the, uh, what does it say, they're gonets, right? And, uh, and so he's putting it in the water main, right? Because it's actually very toxic when you, when you just have it just like that. And so we look at it, um, a number of reasons why fluoride can be bad. And, and we don't just get it in our water. What else can it be in? Toothpaste. Toothpaste, right? Or fluoride treatments and things like this, right? That's one of the reasons why we want to look for a fluoride-free toothpaste. Because it accumulates in your, bro your bone, making them brittle more easily fractured, 
damages tooth enamel, has been found to increase the uptake of aluminum into the brain and lead into, and lead into blood, right? Inhibits antibodies from forming the blood, also affects your immune system. So there's a number of reasons why fluoride can be really toxic, and we can just keep going here. Um, and so, but just a number, of, a number of different things. Is Veronica in here? Veronica, why don't you come on up, Veronica? So we got another testimonial coming here, but I'm just gonna keep going with the water real quick while she gets up here. So chlorine and DP, DBPs, that's, dis, that's um, disinfectant byproducts, right? So chlorine is also extremely toxic. In fact, chlorine, why do they put it in swimming water? Kill bacteria, right? What's in our body? Bacteria. Bacteria, right? In fact, if you were to look at us under a microscope, we're like, we literally have 10 times the amount of bacteria than we have actually cells in our body, right? And so we should have a good ratio of 85% progenic or life-giving, 15% will be pathogenic. You know, we can't get rid of those things, right? E. coli, different things like that that are always in our system, right? Strep, staph, all that stuff's in our system right now as we speak, but it's being kept in check. Here's what happens, we take the chlorine into our system, it damages all the bacteria, right? It's like dropping a bomb in there. And then what happens is opportunistic organisms, they're able to grow, right? And they're able to get in there, right? And, um, and actually grow, replicate, because they're being unchecked, like candida, right? Who's, who's heard of like yeast infections, candida, things like that, right? Now that opens an environment for candida to start to grow and start to spread. And so we look at the, the research, it says that chlorine and DPP, D, disinfectant byproducts, right? They double the risk of bladder cancer compared to smoking men who drank non-chlorinated water, right? When they looked at smoking men. Also, individuals who drank chlorinated water for over 40 years more than doubled the risk of rectal cancer. Why? Because the rectum is loaded with bacteria, right? And so it should be good bacteria as they digest all the waste. One of the things that they do is they actually eliminate um, waste products and, and, and pollutants and toxins by digesting it and breaking them down in your rectum and in your colon. So anybody with like, for example, colon cancer, rectum cancer, you know that they were deficient in good bacteria, right? And that's what allowed that environment to, to spread. So disinfectant byproducts, DBPs, they're over 10,000 times more toxic than chlorine. So look at that, I mean, just really, really toxic stuff. The most toxic thing that we could find in the water, right? So really, really bad stuff. So water toxicity, um, study published in Journal of Environmental Sciences showed that swimming in a chlorinated pool presented an unacceptable cancer risk. So who here swims in a chlorinated pool, right? Some, of, some people do, right? Um, it's, it's known to be very, very toxic, very bad for your system. In fact, here's what they said. They said um, the cancer risk of trihalomethenes, which are um, disinfectant byproducts, which you will find in pools and in, in, in tap water, um, the, here's... Here's the toxic aspects in descending order. So number one was actually skin exposure while swimming, right? That was number one. Number two, gastrointestinal exposure from tap water intake, from drinking tap water. Number three, skin exposure to tap water, okay? And then number four, so that would be like showering, right? Showering right there, okay? So what do we wanna use when we shower? You can get a filter at like Home Depot, right? At least get a like a carbon filter or something that will take the chlorine out, okay? Um, and then number four, gastrointestinal exposure while swimming. We might in ingest some of the water, okay? How about drugs in our drinking water, right? So look at this. So, you know, our drinking water today, right, um, is loaded with a, it's just a, a pharmaceutical cocktail. Why? Because when people get rid of their drugs, what do they, what do, they do with them? They flush them down the toilet, right? And then on top of that, obviously when they're in our system and we urinate them out, guess where they go? 
and the toilet into the sewage, right? So one of the big things you want to do if you are, you know, getting off your drugs, right, you actually, what you do is you put them in a bag. This is what I actually do when people get liberated and they still have some of their medications, right? By the way, three people got off their blood pressure medications last week completely off of them, right? And so, um, so basically what they do is I, I'll actually take the drugs, put them in a bag, right, and then um, take the, the, the bottle itself, I put it up there, but the drugs, I'll go ahead and I'll bring it into Walgreens and they have a, a special way that they, a special landfill that they send it to, right? So it's in one place rather than into our mainstream water system. That's really key. Um, so real important, right? And so arsenic and water, okay? So let's look at arsenic, for example. So arsenic we know is what? Toxic poison, right? So look at this right here. So the outbreak of swine flu in Mexico, who remembers the swine flu last year, right? They were all talking about, okay? And so the swine flu, by the way, did any of you guys get it? Nobody in here got it, right? Oh, one person in the back, right? So it was a national epidemic, right? Barely anybody got it. And so here's the thing. So, um, so the one area where it broke out, okay, in Mexico, right, the major outbreak, okay, they had arsenic levels, right, in that, in that same region, right, because one of the things that, that they did was um, they had, a, it, was, it was where uh, they, they mined coal, right, and arsenic can be a byproduct of coal mining, okay, it was 400 parts per billion, or parts per million or whatever the, the ratio is here, um, yeah, parts per billion in that one area in Mexico where it broke out. And so those people were drinking that water, obviously affected their immune system. So their immune system was really, really weak, and that allowed that swine flu to break out. And it broke out in that one specific area, and it's not like everybody else in Mexico got it, right? It was in that one area. And that's because their immune system was weak. So when we're going into this, Right, we know that arsenic, for example, disrupts the pathways of all five steroid hormone receptors. So most toxins will affect one of those pathways, but this affects all of them. It affects estrogen, affects testosterone levels, progesterone. It affects um, aldosterone, which helps balance your blood pressure, right? A key, a key mineral corticoid that um, balances your blood pressure. Also, um, cortisol, right? It affects your cortisol levels. So all those different areas, arsenic actually will affect. And guess where else we get arsenic? Outside of water. Chicken. Yep. Who knew, who knew that? Raise your hand in the back. He knows it. And the chicken, right? Because it's part of the feed that they give a lot of chickens. 70% of chickens produced, you know, in the United States, their arsenic is part of their feed, right? This is what's going on. So, yep. So if you get non-organic free-range chicken, there's a high probability you're going to get what? Arsenic, right? It can be real toxic. So look at this. Arsenic in drinking water raises the risk of cancer. So you can see the ratios right here. One part per billion, okay, it was one in 3,000 to get um, cancer. Okay, three parts per billion, one in 1,000, right? So it just starts going up exponentially. Five parts per billion, one in 600. 10 parts per billion, one in 300. And then 20 parts per billion, one in 150, right? So the more arsenic exposure, direct effect with um, the amount of uh, cancer risk. And by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this right here, but concentrations of 100 parts per billion and higher are commonly found in well water in many regions of the country, including Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, Florida, and large parts of the upper Midwest, Southwest, and the Rocky Mountains. Whew, they didn't say Georgia, right? <laughs> but this is the reality is that, you know, it's all over the place. And so, um, very dangerous stuff. So, Veronica, why don't you come on up real quick? Okay. All right, so Veronica, yep, exactly. All right, couple questions. How many people have ever watched that show on TV called House? 
Okay, I haven't. But the story about the hair, I could be a case on him. Yeah, you okay? could. So I'm going to tell you um, the bad news first. Um, when I was 14 years old, I went 85% blind in my right eye, and they couldn't figure out what it was. They put me in the hospital, they tested me, and they came up kind of like they did with the doctor, maybe an autoimmune disorder, maybe chronic uveitis. So at 14, I went blind. My late 20s, I'd had one child. We wanted to expand our family. And over a five-year period, I had six miscarriages, mm. just like you kind of heard. Again, autoimmune disorder, we're thinking. We think it's antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting disorder, which was clotting the placenta early in my pregnancies. Again, two autoimmune disorders, not sure why. Late 90s, Emory calls me and said, come on in. We wanted this international panel of doctors to look at someone who has two autoimmune manifestations to see what this could possibly be. And their conclusion was, good news. You've got the manifestations of an autoimmune disorder, but you don't have the autoimmune disorder. <laughs> well, it was bad news, because when I walked in the door, I had a third condition. They knew all my symptoms. I had told them. Three doctors had worked with me over like four years. I had bladder cancer. And I now know why I have bladder cancer, but here I was at 38 was the first time I had the first symptom of bladder cancer. I was running on the treadmill. My husband's back there. We had three kids. My youngest wasn't even two yet. And after I ran, I had massive amounts of blood, hematuria, gross hematuria in my urine. When we went to the emergency room, first thing they went ahead and um, diagnosed me with was a UTI. And like the doctor, I kept saying, you know, I've had UTIs before, um, I have no pain. Well, with this much blood, it's a really bad urinary tract infection. So they put me on antibiotics, I finished the round of antibiotics, and I ran, and I bled. So they sent me to a gynecologist. That gynecologist told me at the age of 38 that I was premenopausal. Any woman in the room will probably know that sounds a little strange to be premenopausal at 38, but that's what they told me. I got a second opinion, they agreed. And for the next four years, that tumor grew. Luckily, I had a very good primary care physician. Um, crazy story, but I, was, I do marketing, and I was working for um, the Falcons physician in a different capacity. And he had me go through some tests, and he asked me to go to my primary care physician. I didn't have one. So I researched, and I found a wonderful primary care physician. And during the testing, she said, uh, asked me, I, you know, do you have any health concerns? I said, well, I gain weight. I can't exercise because I bleed when I run, but I'm premenopausal. And she said, that doesn't sound right. And in my early 40s, I was finally diagnosed with bladder cancer. The tumor was a little bit bigger than a lemon. And because your bladder's small, they were concerned that it would go through the, the lining. Fortunately, it didn't. And they said, there's no reason for you to have bladder cancer. Because the risk profile is a white, 65-year-old male who smoked his whole life or worked in a toxic environment or both. And that's why I was misdiagnosed. So here I was, they said, it's not going to come back. Three months later, it came back. And three months later, it came back. And I continued to have these minor surgeries called TURPs. Finally, about eight months into it, they told me that I needed to go on a chemotherapy, immunotherapy. I did that for 36 months. For the first year, it didn't work, but then it kicked in for the next two years. I finished chemo in 2009. And nine months later, I had blood in my urine. But this time, it went up to my kidneys. So I had my right kidney and my right ureter removed in December of 2008. The biopsy that they did said, not advanced, don't worry about it, it's not coming back. Three months later, I had nine angry tumors in my bladder. 
and I had my bladder and my uterus removed in July of 2009. But it doesn't end there. <laughs> Every three months, they kept thinking they saw something. So about nine months later, a month before my oldest son was getting married, they told me I have, had to have reconstruction surgery. So I did, went to Emory, and I came back, and I felt horrible. And in July of that year, um, they found a new tumor. So that's kind of the bad news. Another part of the bad news is last year in April, I read this book called Living Downstream. There's a documentary out. And this woman is a field biologist who at the age of 20 had bladder cancer. So they asked her, did you work with rubber? Did you smoke? And she says, no, I work in a diner and I'm going to school to be a biologist. And they said, well, do you have cancer in your family? She said, yes, I do. And they said, that's it, it's genetic. And she said, no, I'm adopted. <laughs> so she spent her whole life, 30 years, in researching why she had cancer. Why did she have bladder cancer? And like we saw with this, bladder cancer and some of the rectal cancers are because your body's processing it. In the case of the bladder, my body was processing something, a toxin. My oncologist didn't know. Nobody could figure out what it was. And they really didn't talk about it. Then I read this book. And on page 133, the author talks about a whale that washed up on the shore of the St. Lawrence River, the transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder. Well, guess what? That's my kind of cancer. Guess what? I grew up on the St. Lawrence River. Ooh. So here's a whale. There's a seaway, the estuary. The whale washes up on shore, dead. They cut it open. It's got bladder cancer. And as I said, well, it didn't smoke, and it didn't work in a toxic <laughs> environment. Where'd it get it from? They went upstream and they found two Alcoa aluminum plants who were dumping their stuff in the river. I lived downstream from there on the Ostrogachi River, which is part of the St. Lawrence. I lived an hour away from the American plant and two hours from the Canadian plant, and yet I was affected. I'm the youngest of five children. I'm the only one that was born in that house, raised there for 18 years. That's why I went blind. That's why I had miscarriages. That's why I had bladder cancer. So armed with this information last April, I go into my oncologist and I'm like, I know I have bladder cancer, it's aluminum. And he said, well, what would you like me to do with that? And he said, I could do a test. And it was true, he wasn't, he said, but what can I do for you? He said, there's nothing I can do. And so that was April. I was hoping that my problems were over. In July, they found a new tumor. And so I spent the summer, and really, David knows, I have spent four years eating organic. I've done everything in my power that I, not knowing what was in my system. So that brings me to September. Where's Paul's picture? There it is. Okay. See that guy over there? Right here, guys. This guy. <laughs> he teaches a class at my church. And now we're going to move from the bad news to the good news, okay? Jesus is good news, so here we go. In September, I've spent about four months just really praying to God, you know, what can I do? I mean, I know I have aluminum, where do I go? Well, I run a women's ministry at this church. The night before, he had his class, and I needed to get this big, now he's a very muscular guy, to move furniture out of my car into the church. Sat in his class, loved what I heard, and I decided, I'm going to stay. Two weeks later, he walks in. I hadn't seen him in a couple years, and I became his patient. And here's the good news. He turned on my healing power. Also, between Paul and Dr. David, they talked about things like, you know, um, vitamin C IVs, um, getting the nutrients back into my system. And so I did six vitamin C IV, um, uh, high intensive IVs, and then I just 
change up my diet even more so. Um, was a very good patient, coming three yep. times a week, doing everything I could. And so they wanted to let this last tumor grow for six months because in 18 months, I had had 17 hours of surgery. That's se 17 hours of anesthesia. It's a lot of toxins. Um, they also, another thing he helped me with is on the 10-hour surgery, which was robotic, where they reconstructed me and took everything out. I had serious damage here and here and requested um, x-rays in the hospital. Never got them. It took a year before I came to him. He did an x-ray, and you could clearly see I had damage from laying on a table for 10 hours. So I started seeing Dr. David and going to Paul's class in September. And in December, when I went in to get my CT, unfortunately, the tumor had grown. The reason they let six months go by, because they felt if it was scar tissue, it wouldn't grow. If it was something called a um, functional cyst, it would be gone in six months. Well, it was still there. And from what the oncologist could see, it had grown since July. So they scheduled me for a needle biopsy on January 28th. I was lying on the table at Kennestown. I had my, you know, IV in my arm, oxygen up my nose, and I'm going in and out of the CT scan. They said, it'll take a while. We have to mark it up for the doctor. Then he'll come in with a needle. My oncologist already prepared me. If it's inoperable, we're going to have to do chemo. And I'm like, well, that's what you think, but okay. <laughs> and I'm in and out of the table. They tell me they'd be back in in five minutes. 30 minutes goes by. Nobody comes in the room. I'm thinking, I'm dreaming. I don't know what's going on. And a doctor appears and says, ma'am, we will not be doing a biopsy today. There's nothing there. The mass is gone. Praise God. A round of applause. Now later, later they found a small bit dissolved. And at that point they said, you know, it looks like it's gone away. So if you follow this timeline, it doesn't make sense. In July, the oncologist sees a mass. In December, he sees the mass is bigger. Paul and I thought one day, we kind of thought this through, this is what I think the theory is. If this is July, this is September, and this is uh, December, January. I think it grew bigger in September, and then it was on its downside, and that's where they caught it. So the oncologist actually saw it bigger than July, but I've even told you that theory. I think by throwing nutrients at it, by Dr. David turning on my healing power, by doing the vitamin C IV, that thing was dissolving. Yeah. And so that's my theory. And I'm sticking with it, and that's the good news. Awesome. Okay. So a great story right there, but you know, it goes to show you that you know here she is growing up, and uh, you know, just an innocent, in a sense, an innocent victim, right, of just industrial waste because her family didn't know any better, right? And that kind of makes you scary. It's, it's scary, but at the same time, it's also liberating because we know that the body can heal, that we can reverse these problems. And so let's go into this. So plastics, right? And so what do I tell you guys to drink out of? Plastics. Yes. Right, because plastics are so toxic, and we really have to minimize our, our plastic load. So plastic has BPA, phthalates, which are our estrogen mimickers. These things cause a lot of damage to our system, so we got to use glass on a regular basis the key when we're looking at plastics. Personal care products. Next week, Charmaine's going to arm you guys, right, Charmaine? Yep, she's going to arm and equip you guys with the right personal hygiene products, and I'll be uh, giving my, uh, my six cents on that topic as well. Um, but you can see right in here, propylene glycol, which is antifreeze, sodium lauryl sulfate, one of the most toxic things we can put on our system. It's all over the place, sodium lauryl sulfate. You'll see it in toothpaste. You'll see it in shampoos, all kinds of stuff. Mineral oils, all kinds of toxins there. <clears throat> 
Um, sodium benzoate, who's seen this before? Maybe some of you guys, right? Sodium benzoate, right, is actually linked to low mitochondrial function. And so, for example, the child in Atlanta was a, uh, I think it was a son, I think it was a boy, a little boy or a little girl, a doctor you might know, that was um, diagnosed with autism um, recently. And they did a big lawsuit and they found out that, yeah, that the vaccine actually did cause his autism because he had poor mitochondrial function. His body couldn't detox out the toxins. Right? It was a really big study because it was the first time that the government has actually said that that vaccine caused autism, right? And, um, and so basically they said, yep, they said vaccines are contraindicated for anybody with, with poor mitochondrial function. So this is something that causes poor mitochondrial function, high levels of sodium benzoate. So bromides, for example, another big thing, bromide, um, exposure depletes our body of iodine, which is key. So that predisposes us to thyroid problems, um, as well as a whole host of other issues. Bromide is in baked goods, plastics, soft drinks, all kinds of stuff. And so, for example, real life example right here, Mountain Dew, right? Who's ever drank one of these before? Come on, I, I know I did, right? And so, do the do, right? That was the commercial. Okay, so let's look at these ingredients right here. High fructose corn syrup, what do we know that has in it? Mercury, right? Mercury in there. Okay, we got um, natural flavors, which is artificial flavoring. Right here, we got sodium benzoate, right? So it's, that's in there. And then as we go down here, we've got brominated, right? So brominated vegetable oil, right? We got the, vita we got the citric acid, which is the vitamin C, which only enhances, um, if you, we go back here, that vitamin C actually enhances, right? It converts the sodium benzoate into benzene. So there you go, right there. You drink Mountain Dew. Okay, you're, you're putting all these toxins right into your system in a form where they can become extraordinarily toxic and damaging to your body. So no more Mountain Dew, right? Get this stuff out of our lifestyle. This stuff is so horrible for us. How about Teflon? This is a big issue, right? I, I, in my office, like we made a decision, Charmaine and I, we made a decision. We're putting our foot down on Teflon. We're telling people, toss these things out because this stuff is so unbelievably toxic. One of my future newsletters, I wrote it yesterday, um, has to do with Teflon, but this stuff is linked, I mean, look at this, predict, predicted to be banned in 2015, okay, that um, the EPA is saying, they're telling DuPont and all these other, other manufacturers, get this, so they want, it's supposed, they're supposed to be dropping the supplies over time until 2015, they don't want to bankrupt the companies, the whole time they know this stuff is, is absolutely, is, is destroying people's lives, right? Present class action lawsuits, linked with uh, child development disorders, reproductive issues, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So we don't want the Teflon, what should we use instead? Stainless steel, salad master's good, ceramic, right? In fact, um, you know, if you can afford it, this one right here is really good. This is um, Dr. Mercola's Healthy Chef Cookware. You can get a whole kit, it's like 566 for a full set. Um, you can also, you know, if you couldn't do that, this stuff is, is, is top of the line right here. If, if you couldn't do that, Right, you can go and you can get, right Charmaine, you can get from like Goodwill or something oh, yeah. like that, and salad math. Something I've been using a lot of lately that I really love is that you got just the glass, you know, we all got the glassware yeah. and everything. I'm lining everything with a parchment paper. Oh my gosh, my wicked head ants came out flaming, my potter came out beautiful. Parchment paper is just a life Rather than plastic, right? No, I mean, Rather than plastic. cling wrap or anything like that, no, right? No, no, this is actually
Hear this, but I love a new way. That's right. I say, you know what? Just do your dishes, right? Just, uh, just clean it up. <laughs> it's worth it, okay? But anyways, right here, what's that? Microwave. Oh, people are going to get upset at me now. Okay. Is this good or bad? Yeah. Bad. You guys kind of know, right? Exactly. So here's the thing. Russian ban Russians ban the microwave oven. This is Journal of National Science uh, Archives or something like that, 1998, okay? Following effects were found. They found brain damage, shorting out electrical impulses in the brain from people that were using microwaves. The human body can't metabolize the unknown byproducts cooked in microwave food. Um, male and female hormone production is shut down and altered by continually eating microwave foods. Um, you know, so obviously we're starting to see all these different effects. The effects of microwave food by byproducts are residual, meaning long-term within the human body, minerals, vitamins, nutrients. Um, are reduced or altered. Um, they're created, they're turned into cancerous forms, altered into cancerous free radicals, the minerals and the vitamins, um, causes, causes antioxidants to break down and turn, turn rants and turn into free radicals. I mean, it's a number of different things that microwaves are really bad for, right? And, um, you know, so, you know, the, the worst part about it is you gotta give up all the microwave foods, right? Which are all the good stuff, right? All the, all the healthy stuff, like smart ones, right? And um, lean cuisine, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. they, they market to you like this stuff's all real healthy, right? Lean cuisine, right? Yeah. I also asked, I went to a fancy restaurant yesterday, Italian, and I asked them after we brought them our meal, did they have microwaves in it? Did ravioli? And they did, so I haven't had a bag yeah. You gotta watch your restaurants too. That's why it's better not to eat out, right? Um, and so look at this, the hidden hazards. So Journal of National Science, 1998, same journal, they said a woman was killed by a simple blood transfusion when a nurse warmed the blood for the transfusion in a microwave oven. Blood for a transfusion is routinely warmed, but not in a microwave oven. In the case, the microwaving altered the blood and it killed her, okay? Right, and so you, look at this. You take a plant, okay? This is day seven. Look at the plant. That what they're doing is they're giving that plant microwave water, right? So put water in a microwave, microwave it, give it to the plant. If you don't believe this, try it yourself. You'll you'll become convinced. Once I found this stuff out, I was in graduate school. I took my microwave. Guess what I did with my microwave? Threw it in a dumpster, slam dunked it in there, right? <laughs> I didn't miss it at all, okay? And so uh, you know, definitely a good thing to do. Okay, solving the puzzle. You have a story from a feeling broken soul. You have a story. And that's the podcast for this week. Don't forget to check out our new website. Just log on to www.exodushc as in healthcenter.com. See you next time.